And I wanted to start off tonight by this morning, I did as well, with just contextualizing a little bit of Jesus' teaching, if you like. Because I think it's really important that we understand a bit more about who he is, to be reminded and refreshed in who Jesus Christ really is. Because if we're to take hold of his teaching, and if we're to encounter him, which we'll be talking about a little later in my message today, in those encounters, we need to know who it is we're encountering. And the incredible power and presence that's available to each one of us. When I was a young uh, boy, I was only nine years of age, and it was, uh, uh, it was actually Palm Sunday, and the band was come to the church, and uh, he was preaching all week, and uh, uh, many people gave their lives to Christ. And on the Sunday morning, uh, my Sunday school teacher said, Go out to the class, go to the class, class, and go out. And a few of us put up our hands, and uh, we went and knelt in front of the church with this very famous evangelist. Say he was God. 35% of Christians, uh, sorry, of Australians say Jesus. 
Christ was God. And secondly, the Sam say doesn't exist. They never looked at the evidence as far as I'm concerned. So we've got all these reactions and attitudes to who Jesus is. So I want to just give a little bit of theology uh, around the person of Christ before we introduce a little more on the sermon on the First of all, when we say that Jesus Christ, we're defining him, trying to come to grips with him, trying to understand who he is. We would say he is the pre-existent Christ. Pre-existent Christ. I'm not going to try to get your head around that this morning, because I can't all the time, because I actually can't get my head around He has always existed. We call it pre-incarnate, pre-flesh, second person of the Trinity. Theologians describe it this way. They say he is the Son, eternally proceeding from the Father. He is the divine logos of God. The eternally self-existent God with the Father. Very God, very God, without a beginning, without an end. It just blows your mind. The creator of the cosmos, who always is and always will be. So first of all, he's the pre-existent Christ. He has always existed. There was never a time when he wasn't. And then secondly, he is God incarnate. We come to the moment when the second person of the Trinity, the one who the Son, comes down and becomes incarnate through the womb of the Virgin Mary. The one who cannot be contained in what we know as an expanding universe is contained in the womb of a young Middle Eastern teenager. That doesn't pop the brain. I don't know what does. And he begins his life as a human being at a specific time and place in Bethlehem, wrapped in baby's clothes, lying in a manger, as a fully human being, the eternal, self-existent Christ. Son of God. And he lives his life. He grows up. He announces and demonstrates the kingdom of God. Teaches, preaches, demonstrates it. The reign of God, the rule of God, says, I've come to bring you world order and governance over the entire world. This is what it looks like. It's called the kingdom of God. And he lives this humble life, announcing and demonstrating, and he teaches his disciples, says, follow me, and you will also bring the kingdom. You will live a flourishing, full life as a human being. I'm showing you what it means to be a proper human being. This is it. Look at me. Follow me. And then we find he dies, he rises and rises from the dead. Good Friday, the eternal Son of God is executed by the principalities and powers. He's laid in a tomb on the first day of Easter Sunday. He God raises him from the dead after 40 days of numerous appearances to so many people. He gives final instructions to the uh, disciples. He said, just on how they would go out and bring the kingdom. And then he ascends. And he ascends to the right hand of God. And when he ascends, we need to understand that the ascension of Christ is not Jesus escaping. It's not Jesus saying, well, I've done my bit, now bye-bye, I'm off. All the best. No. The ascension is about, actually, theologically, it's about the pervasive presence of Christ here and now. Jesus is not absent from this world. He's not absent at all. In the ascension, Christ is exalted, Paul talks about this, to the right hand of God. He's not like some kind of marvel here, a 
fathers. Paul says God raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, everything that is in God, far above all that in this age and the age to come. He's given absolute regency. And Paul says he fills all things with it. The right hand of God is the supreme position of authority. He is present with us, but now he's in a position of supreme authority over all the nations. Above every ruler, authority, politician, celebrity, or wealthy magnate. He's above all governments, institutions, systems, philosophies, anything else that possesses authority. Jesus Christ reigns and rules over all. He supersedes every authority in this world today, right now. Now, when we see the state of the world, many of us may not be convinced that Jesus is Lord right now, ruling the nations. We may be tempted to think he's absent, but that someday maybe he will come back and start to rule the nations, you know. One day he'll come back and just sort of rule out. That's a mistaken view. If we don't get some uh, understanding of the exaltation of Christ, right, and his rule over the nations now, we tend to misunderstand his teaching on the kingdom and his teaching for our lives today and his presence today. So Christ is being exalted above all authority, and now he fills all things with himself. He is, in fact, Christ of the cosmos. We live in a Christ saturated cosmos. A Christ-saturated cosmos. We call it Christ of the cosmos, if you will. Killing all things in itself. And it doesn't matter whether you're continually aware of this or not. It doesn't alter the reality of it. That's why I'm refreshing this in this tonight. Christ is now accessible to everybody everywhere. He's not located in a specific geographic place like Bethlehem or Galilee or Nazareth. He is the region of everything for everywhere present. You can pray to him, commune with him, walk with him, talk with him, experience his presence and his love and his help. He's near, he knows you, he comprehends what's going on in your life. He's loving and gracious and merciful beyond anything that you can even imagine. Merciful. And I want you to be reminded tonight as well that when he ascended, he was still talking. <laughs> when he ascended, he was the divine result of Christ, but he was still fully human. He didn't leave his humanity behind. He took his humanity with him eternally. And all this Christology. <laughs> Christ is risen, ascended, reigning, ruling, filling all things, and he's speaking to us today. What does that mean for us tonight? Well, first thing I want to say, we are to follow Christ. He calls us to follow Him. There is a, a, a call on the life of every person in this room, a specific, individual, target goal on every life, where Jesus says, come, follow Him. That call is on the human race, the entire human race, so it's on everyone in this room. And the great goal of every Christian 
transition and some of that things I was sitting with an engineer, executive in a training that I was doing the other day, and a very helpful man, I love him. Also, sorry for him because his great vision was just to apply more and more and more. Boring that spark out or something, boring that old out of the boat. Oh, he's like, I'm not so, you know, the great goal of your life is not about acquisition, and that's so hard to stand against given on the Northern Leadership in Sydney and in a, in a very affluent society. It's that Christ will be formed in us. We talk about becoming a Christian, and on confessing our faith in Christ, we are baptized, but the emphasis is not becoming a Christian. The emphasis is on becoming Christian. Becoming Christian. That's what we're about. It's not about getting a ticket to heaven. We've seen that so much in, you know, I've done it myself, a lot of my preaching when I was younger in particular, you know, just get a ticket to heaven almost, you know, get your name written in the Latin book of life after you go, you know. And there's truth in that, I understand. But becoming a Christian is a lifelong journey. Becoming a Christian. Paul says to the Ephesians, he said, I am in some labor, I am in some pain, he says, until Christ is formed in you. Formed in you. So last Sunday, uh, Tim spoke on the Beatitudes found in Matthew 5. The Beatitudes are the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, they are the, the characteristics of one who lives under the reign of Christ. They're amazing. And uh, it was just wonderful just to be reminded of that again. I'll, I'll touch on a couple of them again tonight. The Sermon on the Mount that we'll be looking at over these coming days has been called a manifesto for the revolutionary kingdom. <laughs> a manifesto for the revolutionary kingdom. It's totally the person next to you say, well, you're a revolutionary. You know, you're a revolutionary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. Come on. Yeah, the and I'll tell you what, the person was, you know, following the Christ was so fun. So Jesus says, and he teaches, uh, before he moves into the major body of the Sermon on the Mount, he says in Matthew 5, we've got it up there, you are the soul of the earth. You. Now, remember the context. Uh, the crowd were down in the plane. Jesus was on a mountain. He took his disciples aside. He's actually talking to them. And he says, you are the soul of the earth. But if the soul loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? What? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and pregnant on the foot. You are the light of the world, guys. You know, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Remember, you have Jerusalem on a hill. Not even people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and gives light to everyone. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Wow. Now, great teacher of all time. This is part of the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, the greatest body of Christian theology that we have. So you are the soul of the earth and the light of the world. Now, I'm not going to do big stuff with salt and light tonight. Uh, I've done that many times. Uh, but I just want to talk very quickly about the nature of salt and light. We know that the, the job
there was a lot of there was a there was a lot of infanticide and, uh, and the, the Romans uh, in, in Rome in particular, but also in Carthage, North, uh, North Africa, they, they used to dispose of babies they would want. So they'd just take babies, you know, and they would just take them outside the city and throw them on the garbage dump to die in exposure. And it was illegal to stop stop us. So the early Christians after dark, you know, they would sort of sneak out of their houses make their way out of the city at great risk and great peril. You know, try to find these babies and nurture them and bring them back to safety in their homes and raise them as their own and adopted nature. That is what really impressed people about the church. They could see something different about these people because Christ was being born in them. So, how are we solving life today? How are we solving life on the lower beaches in these days? The Beatitudes are a great start because they point the way and they give a great character to this Christian of the Christian. You know, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We last week. Blessed are the meek, we don't believe that. You know, blessed are the powerful and strong, the ones who are, you know, out there and doing it. We don't really have a philosophy of meekness and humility. So Jesus said, blessed and make the kingdom for us. They will inherit the earth. Don't be self-promoting, he's saying. Don't be prideful. Don't serve your ego. Don't look for recognition or the adulation of others. Well, so familiar. Instead of a Don't think too highly of yourselves. Esteem others as more important than yourself. Follow my ways. Jesus was humble. He came to serve. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. A hunger and thirst for Christ and His life to be manifest. I was talking to the beginning this afternoon about this. And she said, Greg, you know what? She said, Whenever I pray the prayer, oh Jesus, I'm so hungry, I'm so thirsty for you, I need you. She said, It's always there. And I see things shifting around in the spirit. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty. You just want more of the presence of Christ and realizing that Christ and love of blessing. Blessed are you. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The Christ life always overwhelms you with mercy. It really does. We are the mercy bearers in our culture and our society. For the struggles, the broken, the wounded, the rejected. The outcast, whoever. The church are the ones who carry the mercy of Jesus at the vessels to each one, to the widow of all and the refugee. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. One of the distinguished commands of the young Christians peace. One of the things I dreaded as a young pastor, I was a pastor for 25 years in the church on the other side of the city. And one of the things I dreaded as a pastor was a church member's meeting. You know, it was my worst nightmare. I love the way we do many things here, by the way, too. Because, you know, I just give a lot of people an opportunity to just be good. You know, I don't bring my arguments, bites, and all sorts of things. I don't know what the heck you're blessed about, please, baby. We're meant to be people of peace, people who bring healing, people who resolve issues, people who overcome conflicts. So, these are the characteristics of 
I'm going to summarize it in a couple of sentences. This is the Christ talk summarized from the Sermon on the Mount, as far as I can get it anywhere. If we are living as Christian people, we will forgive others, especially our enemies, and recognize that Jesus loves them completely. We will forgive. We will be peaceable and not angry. We will reconcile relationships. We won't treat people as sexual objects. We will keep our marital vows. We won't deceive people with clever words. We'll live a non-violent life. We will love our enemies. We will give to the poor in a humble way. We will pray and fast with sincerity. We will trust God instead of money. We won't judge other people. And we will treat people as we want to be treated. So Jesus is saying, I'm announcing the arrival of a completely new uh, arrangement of human society. Completely new arrangement. Never before seen. This is absolutely remarkable. It's the kingdom that comes from heaven. And people are going to see your lives and they're going to be attracted to you, to the church, to the king of kings. So you will be sold in life. But he says, what? Well, he gives a warning in the text of Matthew 5. He says, if salt has lost its taste, how can it be used? When the church is not light, when the church is not salt, when the Christ life is, is not being formed in each one of us, we lose our saltiness. Well, we're basically not good for anything. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that Tim mentions, gets mentioned, has some problems in front of us. I believe he's one of the outstanding theologians of the 20th, uh, 20th century. Uh, he had a a short life, uh, living in Germany, born in 1906, lived for 39 years. He, uh, uh, he was one of the very few pastors who stood against uh, the Nazis. He refused to sign, um, most people, most pastors refused to sign the declaration called Barton, declaration signed by Karl Barton, and a few others, which said, We oppose Nazism in Germany. He refused to sign it. Only 10% of pastors, uh, sorry, he signed it. Only 10% of pastors signed it, sorry, if you get that right. So 90% of pastors actually supported Adolf Hitler's nationalism. And for every bottom half of He was running an underground pastor seminary, I believe that in Nazi Germany, an underground pastor seminary. Finally, he was arrested, but before then, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, it's just been republished again. It's something that reforms a very long treatise on the Sermon on the Mount. And he was just heartbroken that German Christians could come to church and be worshipping Jesus and taking the Eucharist to the Lord's table on himself on one day and then go out the next and be part of Hitler's uprising and all that was going on with brutality. Salt. Salt loses and salt loses. And he said it's like cheap grace. It's like asking Christ to come into our lives and then not following, not letting Christ be formed in our lives. So cheap grace is a grace where our lives are not transformed. You know? And when salt loses its saltiness, I'll say it again, it's good for nothing. So 
that Christianity is much more than just a ticket to heaven. Much more than a ticket to heaven. And at Many Life, we don't teach here Christianity as a ticket to heaven. It's not taught here, it's not practiced here. We invite people, we invite you to come on a lifelong journey of following Jesus, of living the Jesus life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to don't think of salvation as something, well, I've given my life to Christ, so I'm going to go to heaven when I die, my names and plans for the life, hallelujah, and then you can just do what you want. Of course you'll be accepted and loved by Christ and not have you, but that's not what it's about. You need me to follow Christ and have you formed in your life. You know, I really believe that when you die, you will be ushered in the heaven, you will be cared for by Christ. Until the resurrection of the dead. Amen. You can just gather yeah, until the resurrection of the dead. That's our great hope. But in the meantime, before that day, we are to be changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how is Christ formed in this? How is Christ formed in this? We are formed in many ways. Spiritual formation happens through many things that we can do in our lives day by day. Tim, last week we talked about proximity, proximity, proximity. You learn or you learn the way. Proximity, proximity, proximity. I'm talking about tonight another step. Engagement, engagement, engagement. Yeah, so we want to engage with the person of Jesus Christ that I've been talking about because that's how we are changed. So can I really recommend to you that you establish and get renewed in a daily practice of meditating on the Word of God and of prayer. Spend your time in prayer and in the Word of God day by day, not religiously or trying to find acceptance of God through them. You can't be any more accepted than you are. He loves you. But the Christ will be formed in you. We often have this thing where we say, oh, and who would you like to spend an hour with? If you could choose any famous person, who could you spend an hour with? People come up with things like Bill Clinton. Sort of amazing. That's Bill. What's Bill about? But I get to spend an hour free of charge with the King of Kings each morning. Communing with Him. As Christ is formed in us, we can be formed in the peace of Christ, in the patience of Christ, in the humility of Christ. Brian Zahn told me years ago that formation has to do with sitting with Jesus. So this is my practice of sharing with you. After I've meditated on the Bible in the morning in my room uh, by myself, I pray a mixture of written and spontaneous prayers. Uh, and I've been doing this for many years. And uh, I sometimes find it struggling. But I've been doing it for many years. And I, as I do it, I become aware of His presence. I really become aware of His presence. And he is in the room with me. And I just sit with him and say, I'm just quiet. You can see son. Oh, bless you. What a this Oh, I just sit. And I sense his presence. And I sometimes even sense where he's sitting in the room. And I know that's not really good. But I sense him sitting next to me, and I sense his hand on my shoulder when I look around. There's a smile on his face, and it has meant everything to me. 
stuff things up so often and I've made mistakes and failures. I've never come back to them again and again. And I've carried shame on in my life, you know. Anyone else carries So when I, I just turned to him, he's sitting there, he's got his hand on my shoulder, and he's just smiling, and he says, it's okay, Fred. I love you all. It's all right. And I'm falling in Christ's likeness when I sit with him and I meditate on his word. But you know what? I don't worship the Bible, I worship the living word that sits with me in my devotion. The living word cannot be the same as only a book. He breaks free from the book. He is the living word of God. And his present with you. And he's the eternal Christ, the pre-existent Christ, the incarnate Christ. He sits with you in your daily devotions. So that Christ will be called in you, friends. And so I don't have to then ask him, oh Jesus, uh, would it be okay today if I have some grudges? Uh, uh, Jesus, would it be okay if I have a rule of my life and just, you know, I'm going to come and talk today? <laughs> Would that be okay? Uh, this would be okay if I just get up to, you know, get a little bit lust today. Would that be alright with you? Uh, Jesus, would it be okay if I just continue to hate that guy down the road with his motorbike? And then we're going to say, is that okay? I just hate on people. Is that alright? If I just do a bit more of that? Oh, that would be okay if I could just get a bit, a bit more greedy. I just want to just be a bit greedy today. Uh, just, I just want to get more stuff today. Is that okay? Oh, that would be okay if I just ignored the ball today and just didn't care for it, what's going on with the ball. Would that be okay with you? I don't know. Oh, that would be okay, Jesus. Would it be okay if I just didn't catch it with my life and just give her a half on that? Because as Christ is formed in us, you know, the Christ character and life starts to come out of us. So can I encourage this church to be refreshed and renewed? Christ. But I encourage you to remember who He is. Who He is. The eternal, pre-existent, glorified Christ who has regions over everything. And you know what? He's at work in your life. He's at work in this church. I believe that great things are going to be happening in the coming day. Things are all the pandemic. Jesus Christ is going out to the hearts of life.